The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing... Well, at the time, the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Charades. I'm Don Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, only it's not the latest episode. There have been two more since then. It's the latest we're recording. That's right. And Father Cory Stika. Hey, Father Cory. It's a charade to say it. No. <laughs> as, as our good friend and listener Bennett from the UK would say, charades. Uh, be sure to stick around to the end of the show, folks. We have uh, accumulated a, a good deal of listener feedback that we want to share with you. And I want to remind you to follow the secrets of Star Trek, whether it's an Apple podcast or a Google podcast, Spotify, tune in on your favorite podcast app, or it turns out this has very become a very popular way of uh, watching and listening to podcasts, YouTube at youtube.com slash StarQuest media, where you should hit the bell to get notifications of the things you've subscribed to, because that's the way YouTube works. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called PlayStation Portable. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash PSP. All right, we're talking about charades. We're finally getting to this episode. And uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happened in this one? This week, Spock and Chapel are sent to investigate a vanished race that used to live on a moon. But there's an energy anomaly, a wormhole, above the surface of the moon, and they're sucked into it and crash. Then, Spock is fixed by the aliens so that he's now fully human. This leads to a lot of comedy, but there's also a problem because Spock's mother, Spock's mother, T'Pring, and T'Pring's parents are coming to the Enterprise for a ritual engagement meal. And T'Pring's mother hates Spock. So Amanda helps Spock learn to lie like a human and bluff his way through the ceremonies. Meanwhile, Nurse Chapel tries to find a way to restore the Vulcan side of Spock's genome, but she can't, using Federation technology. So she, Uhura, and Ortegas fly through the wormhole to make contact with the aliens, and with difficulty, Chapel manages to convince them to tell her how to restore Spock. She arrives in time to give Spock an injection just before the final ceremony of the meal, and T'Pring's mother acknowledges that it was done satisfactorily. But she snarkily comments on how he did it despite his handicap of having a human side. Spock then reveals that it was him as a human who passed the ritual, so he publicly shames her. Afterwards, T'Pring is hurt that Spock didn't tell her what was going on, and she decides that they need time apart. Spock then turns to Chapel, confesses his feelings for her, and says he wants to explore them. Chapel kisses him, and we cut to black. The end. So, um, all of overall first impressions of, or overall impression, not just first, of this episode, Father Corey? I, I kind of enjoyed it. Um we were wondering how they were going to handle the whole T'Pring and Chapel thing, how that, that, that triangle was going to be resolved. And they resolved it very quickly, like within the last five minutes of the episode, um, at least more or less resolved it. But no, I, I enjoyed it pretty much. It was it was fun to see Spock trying to learn about human emotions, what they're really like. I like the comparison with you know being a teenager where your emotions are all over the 
all over the place, you know, and of course, you know, being really hungry and, and yeah, everybody was a teenager remembers that. Yep. Uh, but no, it was, it was, it was enjoyable. It was interesting. It was great to see Amanda, the same, you know, same actress playing Amanda again it was great to see her. And she, I think she was probably one of the better of the star, uh, the guests uh, from this. So no, I enjoyed it. Jimmy, your overall impression? Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the humor of seeing Spock as a human. I like the way he was written uh, as a human. There is because he's still got this Vulcan set of mental patterns, but now he has a more human element than normal, and he's struggling to achieve balance between those two. And I like some of the individual dialogue uh, choices they made in the writing. Like there's one point where Spock is cooking with uh, Captain Pike, and Captain Pike has is grilling some bacon. And even though Vulcans are notoriously vegetarian, Spock is chowing down on the bacon <laughs> and he's just amazed at how it tastes. And Pike tells him, you may want to slow down. And Spock says, I'm making up for lost time. Why do I feel nauseated? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, the smelling the bacon. That was yeah, that was so great. Uh so I, I also enjoyed this one a lot. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It seems to become a pattern of if two two episodes is a pattern. First season we had Spock Amuck, where we had Spock body swap with Tipring, and now we have this one where Spock has another biological mess up that results in comedic, you know, uh, Freaky Friday overtones. I wonder if this is a thing they're going to keep doing. It's kind of interesting that they've just it could have become, oh, they're doing that again. But it was still fresh and fun. And credit to Ethan Peck and everyone on the cast for how well that went. Yeah, it, this was uh, I liked the Freaky Friday episode last season. And there is some similar comedy where they both have to Spock has to play charades both times in mm -hmm. in essence. Mm. But um but this is a conceptual thing that's been on the table since the beginning with Spock because he's this hybrid and he we've spent a lot of time exploring his Vulcan side and they've tentatively explored his human side a little bit over the ages especially in the movies. Um although actually in the last episode that it was actually filmed, although it wasn't the last one released, it was um, All Our Yesterdays, where Spock goes back into the past and starts reverting to what Vulcans were like 50,000 years ago. Um, but what they've never done is said, let's just throw the throttle full human and mm -hmm. see how, Spock's deal, how Spock deals with it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it, it was interesting to see Ethan Peck playing... A, uh, a human playing at being a Vulcan. I mean, there was a very, there was sort of meta on several levels to see this, yeah. even down to the costuming. How do we make the ears that we work so hard to make look real, make them look kind of fake, but enough to pass? I mean, it was a, it was a, some very subtle work going on all over this, this episode. It was a lot of fun. We should probably explain a little bit more about why Spock ended up this way for people who haven't seen the episode. So, Spock and Chapel crashed when they went through the wormhole and Spock, because of his Vulcan constitution, decided to angle the shuttle shields to protect Chapel. And he, he we didn't know this at first. This is something the aliens told us later. 
that he had done that, and he thus sustained more damage from the radiation and from the crash than Chapel did. And they kind of, in in reading into in repairing him, they well they not they not only repaired him and Chapel, they repaired the shuttle and deep cleaned it apparently. Mm-hmm. And um, in reading his genetic code, they found he was a hybrid and assumed that he needed to be fixed based on Chapel's human genetic code. So they basically turned him full human. And it was the it was because of weird alien logic. They did that. Right. Right. The uh, so Chapel. So let's talk about the Chapel Spock relationship here. So we've kind of been building over the season and since last season, this idea of this um, this romantic tension between them and the, the growth of these feelings between them. And there was this awkwardness with with them. And in fact, at the beginning of this episode, Chapel is thinking of leaving the ship to go do a fellowship on Vulcan. Mm-hmm. So they make a big deal out of it in, in Ar- archaeological uh, medicine for the Vulcan Science Academy. Right. And I, I was thinking about this as I was watching. It's interesting in Star Trek for us, archaeology is primitive. We're, we're examining primitive cultures and learning what they knew uh, and learning about you know human history. But in Star Trek, archaeology is sometimes about learning about advanced cultures mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that existed before. And I thought that, that how interesting that is to think of that in a different perspective, how archaeology can be about recovering something we haven't even learned yet. Well, and we have kind of something like that going on today where there's the Roman concrete that we've been studying for years and they've started to figure out, they've actually figured out how it can repair itself, that it actually as part of how it's. I can't remember the specific details, but there's basically clumps of lime inside the concrete. And when the concrete cracks and then water gets in there, if that lime fills in and the concrete basically restores itself. And that's how you get things like the Pantheon that's existed for 2000 years and more. Right. We also have uh, modern medicine is looking to traditional medicine in different parts of the world for botanicals and things like that, that may actually have therapeutic effect. There's mm. a lot of hope that various botanicals, for example, from the Amazon rainforest may have medical applications that are actually useful. In a science fiction context, it's like on Babylon 5, where you have interplanetary expeditions that goes to alien mm. worlds that are dead to study the technology of the alien races that used to live there. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, um, and that's how we got the shadows. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of the Roman concrete, there was a recent episode of uh, another star quest network show called let science that talked all about that. So we should go and check that out. SQPN.com slash science. Uh, one of the things that comes up as chapel is preparing and Benga is helping her prepare is the her about Corby's principles of archeological medicine. Is that, do you think, a reference to Roger Corby, who, who is um, Chapel's fiance in TOS in the original series, or ex-fiance? I would guess so. I'd have to go back and check that um, that episode to see if there there may even be a more direct connection. Mm. They may have in that episode what are little girls made of. They may have said that Corby was doing archaeology or archaeological medicine or something like that. Uh, when he found the androids, right, right, because yeah. the memory alpha says it's uh, it's it connects it to that Roger Corby and mm-hmm. and yep. his and that sort of thing. So interesting. 
There's also callbacks to other things. Um, one of the things they established in like the first episode or first or second episode of Star Trek Enterprise was that Vulcans, ha especially Vulcan females, have a more sensitive sense of smell. And in this episode, uh, and they don't find humans smell particularly appealing. Mm -hmm. And so Spock reveals that he's using nasal suppressants in an right. early scene. And later after he, he, turns human he's like do i smell more human and <laughs> and and then um i believe uh to pring's mother also makes a, a comment in, yep. along these lines right yeah 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 she's you know she walks into the walks into pike's uh, yeah. room and of course she's naked about everything i mean absolutely yes. everything is there's nothing good and it's like well i, I do it you know, something like i could do without the smell or you know it's got a certain <laughs> smell and we know where it comes from yeah right and right. uh and she mentioned in her husband, who's who's kind of, to say the least, beat down by her, uh, you know, first, like, oh, this is a wonderful course. This will be perfect. And then after she comments, he's like, oh, I, I missed that. Well, our, the women's, you know, that, of course, that women's sense of smell is much more acute. Yeah. The, I also like her husband a lot. Her husband is named Sevet, and mm -hmm. he's a cool guy. He's she's yeah. she's acid, but he is just cool. He He's very appreciative. He's very happy. He's enthusiastic about Captain Pike's Vulcan cooking. He wants more of it. Yeah, he's just a relaxed guy. And I developed a theory about him. I've mentioned on the show before that, you know, one of the on this show, that one of the things that the actors do who play Vulcans now, the bad ones just play them like robots. Mm. And the good ones play them like they're suppressing emotions, which is typically anger, frustration, irritation, things like that. Um, but I've I've said if I were going to play a Vulcan on Star Trek, I would play a Cyrenite who's 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 happy about his emotions and stuff and is embracing them secretly, but playing them down in public. And and I, I asked myself, is Sevet? my repressed Cyrenite is because he's so friendly and, and relaxed and kind. And it's like, this is okay. This is cool. I, I, I like this. This is a nice new take. Yeah. That, that I did. I did like him. It was kind of funny to see how he, he, he was kind of, um, he, he was kind of, uh, what's the word? He, he was, was a counterweight to his wife. He was, yeah. but he would say, Oh, this is awesome. And then she'd say, no, it's terrible. You're right. This is terrible. We should have oh, missed it. Yeah. <laughs> he was such a, a very, very a milquetoast character. That's the word I was looking for. Milquetoast character. Uh, so the other thing I thought was interesting about he, this. He is, also, he also barbs her at, yeah. uh, on, on occasion. At the, mm -hmm. gives her a little payback. Especially at the end as we're yes. as the, in the resolution. I want to talk a little bit more about, Ethan Peck's portrayal of Spock, uh, because it's such an important character, is I've realized that the difference between this Spock and the Leonard Nimoy TOS Spock is age. He's mm -hmm. really playing him as, as as an immature character. And that's one mm -hmm. though and I, that really opens up the subtleties of Ethan Peck's performance, which is which I think is over time is better and better. And I really enjoy seeing him exploring as an, you know, a somewhat less mature Spock and th this sort of stuff coming out and watching how this contributes to making the Spock that we've always known. And I really, I really like that, especially in his dealing with human relationships mm -hmm. and the, and the tricks of it. And the, like the scenes where we have the contrast of the scene with it, where he's his Vulcan, you know, human self. And then when he's his 
only human self in different social situations. And it's amusing to see those differences uh, mm-hmm. being played out. I thought that was a lot of fun. Well, it's it's it definitely seems like they're trying to bridge that gap between the the Spock of the cage and the Spock of TOS. I yeah. mean, that that mm-hmm. that they're trying to develop that character to that level. So is that does that mean throughout Strange New Worlds, we're going to see him becoming more Vulcan as we go along? You know, I, I don't more the character we expect to see from TOS and beyond or, you know, I, I'm. I be interesting to see how they play that. I don't know. He and one of the things Leonard Nimoy comment has commented on is that in the early episodes of TOS, he didn't have his spot character down yet as unemotional. Mm-hmm. He had this what Leonard Nimoy referred to as his first officer mode, where he's like barking orders and shouting yep. at people, very shouty, and <laughs> and so they may not feel the need given the the where he is in the cage and where he is in the Corbomite maneuver. They may not feel the need to to make him super Vulcan, but we do have some additional discussion of that issue in an upcoming episode that has already been released at the time we're recording this called Those Old Scientists. So we'll be getting to that soon. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. That has developed um, since this episode. Uh, So. We have the uh, Spock has to perform as a Vulcan. For this ceremony, this engagement dinner, because Vulcans love their their intricate ceremonies. And so Amanda shows up and she's going to teach Spock how to lie. Like uh, a human. Like just a human. Like I, I've neglected my duty for too long. I'm now going to teach you how to lie like a human. Because let's yep. be honest, Vulcans lie. <laughs> they've, always, yeah. they've always lied. They just they, call it other things. They don't lie like I exaggerated. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. The, uh, well, they even kind of say that you find lying difficult. Vulcans find it find it difficult to lie, which is which is a change from the Vulcans never lie. But yeah, that just just means that maybe Vulcans were stretching the truth when they're saying Vulcans never lie <laughs> or letting. Yes. And let it. We, we, I, I was unexaggerating. I, I was exaggerating. Yeah. Yeah. They and, you know, it may be more of a perception then that Vulcans never lie. And they choose not to undeceive people on that point because it would be mm-hmm. embarrassing. Yes. Um, I, the, but that one of the things that does is that leads to a great scene where the crew are helping Spock learn to lie. And they give him this Vulcan acting lesson. And it's like, say it flatter, more robotic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. See, it was so funny just watching everybody try to teach him because wh- the way we behave is mm-hmm. in, is intrinsic to us it's it it's natural mm-hmm. it's habitual we don't think about how if we have you know say one of us had some sort of accident that bonked us in the head and changed our personality if we wanted to behave like we used to it would be really hard to do because how how did i behave then i don't remember mm-hmm. i'm just well, me and he even says you know do i sound like that and of course <laughs> they all all would shout at him yes <laughs> yeah. uh, of course is is Spock, I mean, I, this is overused term, and it's, I know it's a technical term, OCD, or overly fastidious, shall we say, especially with regards to Sam Kirk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he he does have obsessive, compor- obsessive compulsive personality tendencies, yeah. which is not the same as obsessive compulsive disorder. Right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, yeah, we I think we use that too often as a shorthand for obsessive compulsive tendencies which is because he gets so mad at sam 
for not cleaning up his mess, which, you know, anyone who's well, ever had a roommate knows how that there, can be. So this is in a scene where they're having a, a meeting in a, in a conference room and Sam Kirk has a has a muffin and there mm-hmm. are crumbs from the muffin on his plate. And Spock is obsessing about the crumbs on his plate and eventually shouts at him to clean up his mess. Right. Well, and that was yeah, after he becomes just human, because it looks like this is a routine for him for. Sam Kirk is he always brings a snack to the meeting <laughs> yes, and never right. cleans up after himself or, or, you know, is very or careless about cleaning up after himself or, or at least isn't doing it on Spock's schedule. Yes. Yeah, yes. I mean, I assume he takes his plate away and puts it in the recycler when he's done. Right. Uh, so, of course, in this sort of thing, there has to be, you know, the ticking clock. That's a, the usual dramatic device that we have. And so there's a time limit, 24 hours, of course, until his genes are set. Because that's how genes work. And and they can't change it back. And so Christine is under pressure to find the solution for Spock. And so she has to take an insane risk to save him. And even as she's conflicted, because she kind of likes this new Spock. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she wouldn't be sad, you know, if she's honest with herself, if things didn't work out with Tepring and he had to just stay human Spock. And yet... Because she wants the good for him. She wants to heal him and put him back the way he wants to be. So this is a, this is a nice, you know, somewhat selfless instinct in, in the midst of all this. Although it's a mix. I think it, it's mixed motivations for her. Because, like I said, well, she, she would like him to stay, too. And she does eventually realize that even if, you know, if this didn't, if he didn't get changed back, it's not the same person, not the person that she is interested in. Yeah. She, you know, she wants the original Spock back. Yeah. But she had to kind of come to that awareness of on her own. One of the, so we definitely have in this episode, a Spock saves chapel, then chapel saves Spock dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of a story that I've never actually written. I've, I've, I've planned to write a sort of uh, science fiction story, sort of like little house on the prairie in space where, um, you have this family of pioneers on another planet and the father is a former security agent. Uh, they're mm-hmm. like, you know, far ranchers, farmers now, but he's a former security agent and the kids uh, allude to explain to a newcomer that, oh yeah, uh, Pa saved Ma and then Ma saved Pa. And that was just the night they met. <laughs> That's good. Um, so and then we have this this these alien race that uh, started this all off the Kirkovians who are were thought to be extinct you know to be to be uh, have mm-hmm. died off but are, have just moved on to a new mode of being apparently in another dimension and they have a standard customer service line just <laughs> like yeah. the ones on Earth it's <laughs> yes. like we did this f- further contact is not required and <laughs> yeah. and then when they when they keep banging on the door it's like this is irregular a complaint outside the response period (laughs) it's like a species of bureaucrats yeah your warranty is expired i'm sorry well the the only reason why they they knew uh that this this race had healed them and and fixed up the shuttle and everything was because they actually left their business card Mm -hmm. (laughs) right yeah you're you're welcome we fixed you and uh no further contact is necessary thank you very much uh yeah so um, I, I do like how they so they're basically energy effects. And of course, the energy effects look better than the energy beings on the mm-hmm. original series did. Sure. But I like how they introduce alien 
qualities to them. Like the the Kirkovian they initially talked to is named Yellow, mm-hmm. and then later they talk to another Kirkovian named Blue. Right. And is yellow back there? Can we get like yeah. <laughs> the talking to blue? Can, can we get a like, yellow up here? Because he seems so, a little more uh, <laughs> friendly. <laughs> so, so Jimmy, you you didn't like the uh, the glitter suspended in water effect that they would do for <laughs> they would just early use... energy effects. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little. It was a little less advanced. They didn't have CGI in 1967. Yes. Nope. Yeah. Uh, so. We, of course, the the whole situation is maneuvered so that Yellow requires Chapel to reveal her true feelings about Spock in order to get help. And uh, we have a funny scene because Yuhua and Ortegas are both there uh, and she makes them turn around and not look at her while she's burying her well, soul. <laughs> well, I love the reaction, too. It's like, well, what? You know, she's trying to explain, oh, he's a friend and I really like him. And and, you know, I. <laughs> Try not wanting to admit that she has any feelings for him, and both of them are or her and the are like really seriously <laughs> rolling their eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell yeah. the aliens what you feel because the aliens respond when it's like, oh, you're connected in some way. You you have yeah. a relationship that has weight for the aliens. Yes, and Chapel's not wanting to admit it, and Uhura and Ortegas are like, duh, tell them about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and even knock then, it off, and she makes them turn around. And uh, while she confesses her feelings to the aliens, and even then she just barely confesses them. Right. It's so understated. The, uh, the, so the Vulcan ritual had three parts. Um, mm-hmm. But the For, first one, you got to pick up a scalding hot teapot and yes. pour out of it. Yep. So second is what they call the ritual of awareness, which is where for like 90 seconds or something, you get told all of, you get given negative feedback. <laughs> About your about your life and personality so that you can improve. And and then the third is a mind meld with your parent who is at the maybe specifically your mother, but with Mm -hmm. a parent who is at the ritual where they share a memory with you. And um, so, no, this doesn't make a lot. Actually, of the three parts, the ritual of awareness makes the most sense. (laughs) It um, seems cruel, though, man. Yeah. <laughs> so well, but if you're a Vulcan, you're supposed to be able to take it and let it go. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I was struck by the scalding hot teapot because when Spock initially is practicing for this with Amanda, he puts his hands on the teapot and instantly yanks him back. And she says, come on, dear. I've I've been doing this for years. Watch. And she then does it. Yeah. And she says, I've learned to suppress my pain. And I'm going, Amanda. This is this. There's a magician's trick for this. You can insulate your hands. You know, phony, phony physical mediums in the 19th century (laughs) were doing exactly this. Mm -hmm. You you don't need to make Spock suppress his pain. Just coat the palms of his hands. I I was thinking the uh, uh, it made me think of the old TV show from the 70s or 60s Kung Fu. Mm Because there was there was an episode where like the the, as a a young Kung Fu apprentice, the one of the things you had to do was pick up a scalding hot pot without flinching and carry it. Mm -hmm. I thought I was thinking Kung Fu. Yeah, or and, and they're in magic. There's lots of solutions to things. Another gimmick: the teapot. Yep, make it scalding hot on the inside, but coat the outside of it with something that'll let you pick it up. I'm sure that Enterprise has plenty of things that could have been sufficed. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, 
you know, you may suppress the pain, but you're still causing damage. Like the pain is a, yeah. is an indicator of damage. So, <laughs> well, and they, they even show that where after he does the teapot and of course all of it drops it back on the flame and then to grabs his hand and he winces yeah. in pain. Yeah. Right. There's also Spock. The, the one that Spock has the most trouble with is um, the ritual of awareness. And this one's interesting because um, so to Prill, that's to Pring's mother, really read Spock the right act, you know, uh, telling him how how lousy he is as a Vulcan. And he then goes to the bath. He says, I, I must go to the bathroom now. And he gets up and he goes to the bathroom and screams. And <laughs> yeah. so I thought, you know, it's a little over the top, but given the fact that, that Ortegas in a conversation with him said, you're basically like a human teenager now. Mm-hmm. Um, that made it made more sense for me because as an adult, I'm used to people saying negative stuff about me all the time. That's you know, it's in com boxes, and yeah. uh, because no matter what you do, someone's going to hate it. And I don't take it personally. Um, you know, even though they're trying to be personal and they're trying to hurt my feelings, it's like I'm not going to worry about it. I got better things to do. I can just let it go. And in fact, I often don't even bother reading com boxes. I, I will for things like Mysterious World, you know, but other things I, 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 I why bother, you know, if it's if it's going to be in a negative environment, mm. like on Twitter, let's say, which is right. an extended com box. <laughs> and so if I see a threads going negative, it's like, OK, I'm checked out of this thread. No big deal. But um, that's actually a mark of maturity. The, bit, the ability to just let criticism go and not obsess about it. But Spock is an emotionally vulnerable teenager, and he hasn't learned the skill of letting it go. So well, having him go off and scream can make some sense. Yeah. But I, I felt that, and maybe I'm an emotionally immature person, but <laughs> when you've had a meeting, and I've had several as my time as a priest, where parishioners are basically yelling at you and sometimes it's legitimate criticisms, you know, things that I've I've made mistakes, things I've done wrong. You know, <laughs> here's a hint. Priests aren't perfect. We are human <laughs> and we do make mistakes. We do make bad decisions. Um, but also when it's things that are um, criticisms that are not true. And I, I would argue that some of what DePril said was just outright attack. It was an insult. It was not wasn't legitimate truth. criticism yeah. against him. And when you've been in that situation where they have an extended time to do that, I understand that completely. <laughs> I've walked out of meetings and wanted to do just what Spock <laughs> did. So, um, and it, and, cause that's, that's, a, that's very different than some random, you know, loser one, two, three, four on the internet saying something when right. it's somebody who, you know, could is whether whether you're connected to them emotionally or it's an extension to someone or something that you are emotionally involved in. Again, for me as a priest, to have parishioners doing this is a very emotional thing. Um, versus again, yeah, if, if some 
somebody leaves a note on this YouTube video saying, oh, Father Corey, he's a, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, whatever, Corey. dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, uh, I think a lot of it's personality driven and Spock's personality is raw and fresh and new. Mm-hmm. And yep. um, I <laughs> and I think the closer someone is to you, the more such things can cause. I I try not to get take offense to people on the Internet. But, you know, sometimes husbands and wives have discussions <laughs> and I go yeah. in the other room and, uh, you know, do the uh, the uh, virtual equivalent of screaming into a pillow, perhaps. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I think it's it's true. It's it's part of it's about pers- uh, emotional maturity and part of it is just, you know, the na- a natural the human reaction. Yeah. So uh, I do. <laughs> so uh, Pike has to as as Christine is getting that cure. Pike has to uh, vamp stall stall. And so he starts <laughs> playing charades with, with the, the Tapril and the others. And boy, that was fun. Which he presents as an important earth tradition that we've <laughs> right. got to interrupt your tradition for our tradition now. Yep. And he starts explaining the rules and so forth. Unfortunately, we don't get an actual game of charades. That would have been fun, but yep. you know, to at least see a little bit of an actual game because, um, Chapel gets back too quickly and says, Mr. Spock, I have your vitamins because <laughs> the to parents know that Spock has been in an accident and is recuperating. They yep. don't know the nature of the accident. That's what's being hidden from them. But they do know that he's been in an accident and he's had, you know, various injuries. And at one point, you know, when he's having trouble controlling his facial expressions, he 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 says, uh, "I'm having muscle cramps as a result of my accident," <laughs> and 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 they keep. She keeps needling him, and he winces even more. It's like the muscle cramps are getting worse, and <laughs> so it makes sense for Chapel to show up and say, "Mr. Spock, I have your vitamins." You know, yeah. I wonder if that's a bit of a callback or a reference to a mock time when McCoy has to give Kirk the triox compound, mm-hmm. which is really a you know, a knockout thing, knockout drug to end the combat. And it's sort of a, we, we have to keep, you know, doing surreptitious hypo sprays to, to save yeah. people from Vulcan rituals. Uh, so I thought that was a, a, a callback. I, I loved Savet's uh, reaction though, to, to the shreds, yes. shrod, shreds. He was just like, he was all into it. He yes. was ready. He was, he was good to go. And, and even later on, he was like, is this part of shreds? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He, he was enthusiastic. He was enthusiastic for everything he encountered. I yes. really liked him. Um, Spock and Chapel then go into a side room and they're starting to confess their feelings for each other. And before Spock is about to say something dramatic, possibly even I love you. She injects him in the neck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and because she's not ready to hear him say whatever it was he was about to say. Right. This Dom, you notice you note that this has callbacks. I mean, we've noted it has callbacks to other episodes. Two in particular that struck me were um, the uh, Deep Space Nine episode. You were cordially invited which is the one where Worf and Jadzia get married. Right. But before they can get married, the um, the matriarch of the House of Martok, uh, Cyrilla, shows up and has to give her approval to Jadzia. That's right. And since Jadzia is not a Klingon woman, Cyrilla hates Jadzia. And we have a similar thing where Jadzia has to pass through various rituals in order to appease Cirilla and let her join House Martok. 
And so it's very much like that, where you have to prill in the role of Cirilla. And there is even a physical um, uh, ritual that Jadzia had to do that involved like holding heavy objects for hours while yeah. reciting stuff. Right. Um, also, uh, you know, it, there was a lot of similarities. Like one of the early stages was um, Jadzia had to make these special candles to honor um, Cirilla's presence. And they were called Varhama candles. And she just replicated them. And and Worf was concerned about this because the actual ritual for making Varhama candles um, is very elaborate. And Jadzia thought, she's not going to take it that seriously. I can just replicate them and did. And when Cirilla sees them, she says, if you are going to use, if you are going to make Varhama candles, you could at least use such, make ones that are not such obvious fakes. <laughs> mm. That's right. That was, yeah, that was a good episode. Um you know, the speaking of the reactions of to 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 um, members of other species joining your house, this oh. is yet an okay. I, I'm sorry. There was another one I wanted to mention, which was an, a TNG episode of a Vulcan who is not in the right state of mind and needs help getting through a difficult situation, mm-hmm. and that's Sarak. Where because of right. his advanced eremotic syndrome, Sarek is losing control of his emotions, but needs to go through a tense negotiation uh, or a very, very delicate negotiation. And in the same way, Spock is in, not in control of his emotions and has yeah. to get mm-hmm. through this very delicate negotiation of this ceremony. Right. This one played for comedy, that one for drama. Play- yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say that you know, we have yet another example of Vulcan racism. Vulcans are... <laughs> They're they're very mm-hmm. racist against humans. I mean, I mean, it comes up in several different ways: mm-hmm. racism against Bach because of his heritage, racism that Amanda suffered. Um, Topril is just an awful person because she's so speciesist against well, humans. Well, as, as Spock openly says in this episode, Vulcans are such jerks. Yeah, <laughs> they can be. I mean, you know, we love the the species as fans in many, in, you know, uh, in many ways. Mainly, I think because of the particular characters that we like. I think, uh, in general, I'm thinking speaking mm-hmm. in general of the fandom. But uh, but Vulcans themselves, yeah, they can be kind of jerks, as including the the jerk who was a jerk to to Chapel, right, refusing yeah. her, and her basically telling him. Yeah, I just met with this ancient, the Kirkovian species and got a lot of really great archaeological information. So I don't really need you guys actually to do any of that. Well, it was it was it was clear that he was brushing her off. I mean, because, yeah. you know, the first critique was that she didn't just directly quote basically him. Yeah. You know, that the source material for her paper wasn't directly quoted, which, of course, we, you know, or you know, we would plagiarism. call that plagiarism <laughs> is what he wanted. Yeah. He wanted plagiarism in her paper. It wasn't just a quote. It was like, no, you did not use the exact words right. that was in your source materials. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't a quote. It wasn't it was meant to be. She was just supposed to. Every, her entire paper was supposed to basically be cut and paste from the original material. And that's what he wanted. Yeah. yeah. Blew her off for that. And then it was like, oh, field work. Nah, whatever. <laughs> what kind of field work can you do? <laughs> I and was... then, of course, once he realizes, oh, wait, she actually met and convinced this alien race to give her ancient medical technology. All of a sudden he was interested and she's like, yeah, you're not worth my time. Well, <laughs> yeah. She said, you can read about you can read about it in my paper when it appears. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, in that first critique I, that he had early in the episode, I had sympathy for her because essentially he was criticizing her <clears throat> for 
not doing something that was not in the instructions. Uh, right. When I write papers, I pay extremely careful attention to the instructions and mm -hmm. I make sure I tick every box that the instructor asked for. But I have had instructors who have said, oh, you know, well, this was good. You ticked all the boxes, but you didn't go beyond that. So we're not going to give you uh, an A on this assignment. Mm -hmm. And it's like if you should be able to get an A by following the instructions. Right. If, if you shouldn't make A level material something that is you haven't told the students you want. <laughs> And yes. well, so it's a class it, in telepathy. Yeah. So <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of tell tell people what you want. And if they do mm -hmm. it, you give them an A. That's right. So Tapring has a quite negative reaction when she finds out what all happened. And uh, understandably, you know, Spock, why didn't you tell me about this? I could have been prepared. And especially given what happened in Spock Amok last season, where they had to go through this together, this a similar situation. And she really, she does the, I want to take a break sort of thing. And it really feels to me that this is where the writers are starting to cr mm -hmm. create that rift that we see eventually blow up in Amok time. Because we go from, to Pring and Spock, in whatever version of Vulcan love this is, um, which seems true, to she wants him to die <laughs> or kill yeah. his best friend in a mock time. Uh, so she, she, I think this is where the path begins for that. I think um, at least I, I think it's kind of started. It's kind of started before they've, they've been kind of inching towards it, but I think this is where it actually becomes a rip. Yeah. Uh, some fans are unhappy with the Spock and chapel taking I, the relationship to another level of say. I, I appreciate it. I, I like exploring this because it is, I mean, the Spock to, to Pring Chapel Triangle is there in mm -hmm. the original series. And so I, I don't mind at all having having a backstory mm. to that. Unfortunately, it's not going to end pleasantly for any of them. Right. Um, and so I wonder how much where they're going to be in the final season of Enterprise, which I'm sorry, of Strange New Worlds, which might be season five, given mm. the precedent they've now maybe set with Discovery. Um, but, uh, you know, it they may just let the relationship with Chapel cool. And I'm partially drawing on things that haven't happened yet. My sense is it's going to be a roller coaster. They're going to they're going to have on and off phases with to and with chapel. Yeah. Um, and because that's the natural way to play this out. And so I suspect that's what's going to happen. By the way, I wanted to comment on another really nice line that Spock gets early when he's talking to chapel. And he does say, I misquoted him. He does say Vulcans can be such jerks, not they are. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Early on, after he's turned into a human, Chapel asks how he's coping, and he says he's it's interesting, but he's doing okay. He says, "Sometimes I don't cry in the shower." <laughs> <laughs> and then she looks at him and he says, "Kidding," and he says it in such a way I'm not sure he's kidding. <laughs> yeah, very much a teenager. Yeah, because he does kind of the awkward side, you know, tap on the shoulder, you know, like, "Oh yeah, I'm just kidding." Ha ha. <laughs> yeah. 
the um, there's also a, a little note in here because uh, in episode one of this season, the engineer Pelia said that Amanda was one of the first people she revealed the fact she's an Alanthanite to. Mm-hmm. And so with Amanda on board in this episode, it would be natural to say, hey, so we should see the two of them interact. But they didn't hire. Um, I'm blanking on her name. Carol Kane. Carol Kane. Um, they didn't hire her for this episode. She's just a recurring guest star. She's not in every episode, mm-hmm. which is actually what Dr. McCoy originally was. Mm. Um, but um, but uh, Captain Pike mentions to Amanda when she beams on board that Pelia is not on board right now. So unfortunately, we don't get a Pelia Amanda scene. Yeah, maybe in the future. That would be fun. Uh, any other notes on this episode, Father Corey? I- I did get a kick out of, you know, Spock trying to hide the fact that he's human from Amanda. He's got the, the Starfleet <laughs> beanie, you know, the Starfleet issue beanie. Yes. And they talk about it. Yeah. And uh, she she finally figures out, take off your take off the hat, Spock. <laughs> and, and he pulls it off and just kind of like, hi, mom. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. I had shared this with Jimmy uh, uh, and you. Uh, someone who created mm-hmm. a meme of this Spock uh, instead of wearing the beanie. This hat, it's white, like a hard hat with a big light on oh, top, yeah. and it says Spock on the front, and and he was wearing that, and that comes from a toy that came out in the you know when the original series was out. This inexplicable toy of yeah. Vulcan hat. I mean, it had nothing pre, to do with the series. <laughs> pre 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 Star Wars uh, marketing wasn't what it is today, no. and so they just throw like they would get the license to use you know the Star Trek logo and throw it on anything, including apparently a police hat. <laughs> it was supposed to be like a police hat because they had like the beacon on the top that would spin yeah, or would yeah. flash. <laughs> it was, but it, it was, was just very clever, a f- fan made uh, image to replace the beanie. With the uh, that would have been funny if they would have found something like that, something that looked like that. Talk about uh, Jimmy had to step out, but talking about the uh, uh, the Spock hat. Yes, I explained where it image. comes from originally, but uh, um, but uh, yeah, I, I did like Mia Kirshner coming back as Amanda Grayson. She yeah. plays that role so well. She's and good. it was it was great to have her come back from you know. Of course, she was in Discovery first two seasons of Discovery, and then now in this as right. well. Right. Yeah, she's she does play it very well. It's it's really nice to see to see that 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 um, who was the original actress uh, Ronald Reagan's first wife? Or I think it was um, Jane uh, Wyatt. Jane Wyatt wasn't she married to Ronald Reagan originally? I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. Jane Wyatt. To, to, to ignore my irrelevant comment, uh, Jane. Uh, <laughs> to, I think it's a nice transition. Like, it's always interesting to see how they recast these roles and the actors who p- take them up. And it, she does a great job of conveying Amanda's grace and a plum and the ability to f- sort of fit into Vulcan society without giving up her clear, her humanity without having to pretend to be Vulcan. So I, I really enjoyed seeing that. It's, it's one thing I really like the actress playing Amanda, but she appears too young. She's in, 11 years older than Ethan Peck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in, in the original series, when she appears, she is a silver fox. Yeah. You know, and that's only five years from now. Right. Right. Yeah. There was some talk about, well, Vulcans age differently and Spock maybe looks, you know, what younger or older, whatever. But yeah. Um, Jimmy, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? Well, um, let's see. Spock is able so once Chapel injects him, she he his Vulcanness does start returning pretty quickly. He is able. We we learn in 
after in the um, anticlimax, we learned that he actually did pick up a memory from Amanda during the mind meld. So they mm. weren't just faking that. She shared a memory with him of the first time that uh, other that Vulcan children asked him to play with them. And so that was a nice memory is, you know, he can fit in to Vulcan society. Um, you guys mentioned the silly hat line. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a, a line where uh, it's announced that even though they've tried to put off the engagement dinner in light of Spock's accident, they're coming here. We'll have the dinner here. And he's like, what wonderful news. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's it's delivered as um, as as being um, very awkward. And yeah. it's ni- nicely executed. Early on, there's a when they're about to fall into the wormhole, Spock says gravitational radiation is heading towards us. And it's like, dude, that's gravity. <laughs> um, yeah. If if it can be conceptualized as radiation at all. And there's a question about that as opposed to curved space time. Anything that radiates from a source is. um is radiation and gravity radiates from objects with mass. So, dude, you're just saying the gravity's pulling us in. Teaching <laughs> um, Andre Bormana says science consultant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the uh, there's also a we get the what the f- and then yep. we cut yep. to black before he can finish the word. Right, he yep. wakes up as a human, and I'm glad they cut it to black. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I do want to correct one thing you said, Dom. Okay. Jane Wyatt did play Amanda Grayson, but she was not married to Ronald Reagan. It was Jane Wyman Ah, that was married to Ronald Reagan. I always get that wrong. Yep. Yep. Thank you for the correction. They're similar age, you know, so I mean, it's it's understandable. Very very similar names. (laughs) Yeah, I was because I had Jane Wyman's picture in my head and I was, but that's she didn't play Amanda. No, no. (laughs) Uh, all right. So that's for our discussion for charades. And uh, we did to have that listener feedback. So let's get to that now on uh, episode 268 tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Uh, Lollipop on YouTube wrote, if I win the Powerball tomorrow night, Father Corey is getting a red Hellcat. Well, well, unfortunately, there's not one parked in my garage, so they must not have won the Powerball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I don't know if they're from California or not, because that's what the ticket was sold. But there's still another chance, Lollipop, the Mega Millions, if you if you go out and buy one right away. Uh, <laughs> all right. And then uh, episode 269, Among the Lotus Eaters, Paul writes on YouTube, I noted only Ortegas was going to wear a hat on the away mission, saying important people wear hats. I think all the guards went outside wore metal helmets. I could be wrong, though. I wonder if that was a subtle hint the metal protects them from the radiation. A subtle hint that Ortegas was going to get them out of trouble? Or maybe wearing a tinfoil hat doesn't always mean you're crazy about conspiracy theories or invisible boogeymen. Um, I think that actually that was clearly that they all the guards wore the metal hats to protect them from the radiation. I mm-hmm. think that was actually um, uh, intentional. Even, intentional. I think it was even said in dialogue at some point, but I'm not sure. Um, but yes. Yeah, because the guards lived inside the in the castle, the castle that was that protected from the radiation. So that would make sense. Yeah. But yeah, it would be interesting if they hadn't cut Ortega's from the mission. She would have been the one saving them all from <laughs> their memory well, loss. That didn't look like it was a metal lined fur hat for her, though. Mm, that's true. That might be might be might be the case. Uh, and then Kara on Discord, our Discord server, she writes, I enjoyed your discussion of the role of memory informing us. 
As someone who has her share of bad memories from bad choices in my young life, it served as a great reminder that those memories are important and not just to be ignored. I wouldn't be who I am without my past, and I need to do a better job of integrating those memories into my identity without shame. I also have been thinking about faith as a part of that deep core identity that wouldn't be lost with the autobiographical amnesia, since faith is more than a feeling. I wish the Star Trek universe allowed faith more, or we had a Bajoran who could explore that side of things. Thank you for a great episode. It would be nice if uh, we had a Bajoran who could explore that, although I don't know how that would fit with the current timeline. Mm. Because um, right right now, I'm not sure if, if Bajor is, has been occupied by the Cardassians yet. Mm, but no, they, yeah. they weren't in general contact with the Federation prior to the era of Deep Space Nine and the yeah. Cardassian Wars that preceded it. Right. Now, was Bajor only occupied for like 50 years or something like that? 60. 60, 60 I believe. And we're about 100, about 60 years before that. Well, yeah, yeah. about 100 yeah, we know before that. Yeah. yeah. Um, or we're still really well before that. Yeah, I, I mean, even if not a Bajoran, it would be nice to have maybe a human Catholic or Mm-hmm. Uh, Protestant or Muslim or Jewish or another religious character. According to according to rumors, when they introduced Pike in season two of Discovery, he was in he was originally described as a fundamentalist Catholic in the rumors, which I'm sure is Hollywood malcontent exaggeration. Right, he mm-hmm. was probably an understated Catholic. Um, if the rumor is even true, but they did refer to him having a sister who was like a theologian or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It'd be, be nice to at least explore that. I mean, I mean, Mm -hmm. who knows how well they would do, but. That's, that's one thing, you know, for, for J. Michael Straczynski being Mm -hmm. a staunch atheist, he did a really good job in Babylon five, bringing that element in, bringing the faith in, you know, there's uh, season three had uh, the, the, the Trappist monks from Mm -hmm. new Melray Abbey. Yeah. You know, who came to the station and were a part of that, you know, a part of regular part of the episodes. Oh, and in, so, I mean, in, it was in one of the Babylon five spinoff movies. We have an exorcism on the station and right. it's it's really Asmodeus. Yeah. Um, the first season we had uh, the um, oh, what's her name? The first officer um, is Jewish. Susan Russian, Ivanova. 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 Yep. She's Jewish. She's Russian. Her father has died. She sits uh, Shiva. Mm-hmm. It was a, in a beautiful episode. What mm-hmm. a beautiful scene yeah. that was. And then uh, Sinclair reveals he was trained by Je- uh, Jesuits who apparently are yep. very different in the future who get up uh, before dawn and do meditations before mass. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was, Ivanova was a fascinatingly complex character because like a lot of Jews, even though it's contrary to the law of Moses, they don't all eat kosher. Yeah. And right. and Ivanova, without blinking, eats bacon. Yep. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's bacon. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as we know from Spock, mm, it smells yeah. good. The there was something else I was going to mention. What was it uh, connected with religion? Um, yeah, oh, I, I'm not sure that J. Michael Straczynski is still an atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, I read his autobiography, Becoming Superman, and he talks about his religious upbringing. He was raised Catholic. Um, and I think by the end of the book, he made a remark that suggested to me that he that he believes in God now, but I'm not sure. Right. Pray for him. At least it. Yeah. Well, at least I know at least at the time he was doing Babylon yeah. 5, he, he wasn't quite as open to religion as apparently he is now. Maybe well, it's great. Maybe it had an effect. Um, also, his former yeah. wife, Kathleen Drennan, um, in she wrote the 
one of the Babylon 5 novels, which Straczynski considered fully canonical. He didn't consider all of them fully canonical because some of them were made from notes he had prepared and he thought the writers introduced elements he didn't approve of. But he um, he he read and fully endorsed his wife's book as canonical. It tells the story of what happened to Jeffrey Sinclair after he left the station and went to Mimbar. Mm-hmm. And um, and it has heavy Christological, you know, interesting stuff in it uh, and because, you know, they're preparing the Mimbaris are preparing um, Sinclair to be Valen, a major figure mm-hmm. in their religion. And at one point, he's got to do this ritual where he drinks from a chalice, this Mimbari substance he's got to drink. And then he basically almost dies and three days later recovers. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> drinking the chalice, go into your death, rise in three days later. I've heard that before. It sounds vaguely um, familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but in in the preface to the novel, Kathleen Drennan encourages prayer and she says it carefully, but it it looks like she's encouraging people to pray for her then husband. Interesting. Interesting. Good. Well, this be Good time to mention there'll be a Babylon 5 uh, animated movie coming out yeah. here in August. And mm-hmm. hopefully end of August, September time frame, we will have a discussion with that on Secrets of Movies and TV. I was That's just going to say, and I'd definitely be up for that. Good, good. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, to go back to Star Trek, I really hope I would love for them to to go back to exploring more of the full human experience, including faith. I agree with Kara. I wish there was a character. Mm-hmm. Who had some kind of faith on the show that lived according to those principles. Uh, finally, Brian uh, via Patreon writes, the Kalar in the cage was neither Ted Cassie nor Richard Kyle, as we were discussing in our episode. Uh, but Mike Dugan, Richard Kyle was never in Star Trek. Uh, and Ted Cassidy, who was lurched from the Adams family, was in the Corbomite maneuver as the voice of Baylock's puppet. Also, what are little girls made of as Rook and was the voice of the Gorn captain in arena. So I knew the first two of those. I didn't know the third. Yeah. I think that was actually a uncredited thing, but mm. I think memory alpha has it. So um, yeah, really kind of cool. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone for your feedback. We really appreciate getting that. And as we wrap. So, things- so, so like when the Gorn captain is talking to Kirk in the universal translator, you know, Kirk, like, speaks to him he should have said you rang (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) all right uh as we wrap things up we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of star trek including timothy r Ginny c brian v sebastian w and stephanie d their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give Make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So we'd love to hear what you think of this episode charade and our discussion of it. Charades. Charades. Yes, plural. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can watch us on The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media. And we'll be back next time. We'll be discussing the next episode of Strange New Worlds called Lost in Translation. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. 
Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and I don't. I just realized I don't think we explained the the double entendre of the title this mm. episode because they obviously start to play a game of charades, but Spock pretending to be human is itself metaphorically a, char- a charade. So right. those are those are the charades in the episode. And in right. any event, in Vulcan tradition, live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on Star Quest, and remember. A Vulcan should have a more resilient bladder. <laughs>